You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side of history. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is titled The French Nobleman. But before we do that, I just wanted to thank everyone who downloaded the Kindle version of my book, Einstein's Refrigerator, and made it the number one downloaded free Kindle book all that particular week. Now, for a book that was written more than 10 years ago, and it really was just the best my website in the late 1990s, I really was shocked by how well it did. Uh, I guess I can jokingly say that I am now a best-selling author, although I don't know if a free book could be considered a best-selling book, if you know what I mean. And now for today's question of the day, which is about United States governors. Samuel Houston is the only person ever to have been elected to be governor of two different states. So which two states were they? And here they are in alphabetical order. You need to pick two of the states to be correct. So your choices are one, Arkansas, two, Indiana, three, New Mexico, four, Tennessee, five, Texas, or six, Virginia. You have to pick two of those. Again, Samuel Houston is the only person ever been elected governor of two different states. And which ones were they? Were they one, Arkansas, two, Indiana, three, New Mexico, four, Tennessee, five, Texas, or six, Virginia? Again, pick two of those. As always, I'll keep you in suspense and let you know the correct answer at the very end of this podcast. And now for today's story that I've titled, the French nobleman, which begins with the death of an elderly man on September 5, 1946, at the county hospital located in Chicago, Illinois. Documents indicated that the name of the deceased was simply A. Terry, just A. Period, Terry, age 67, and the cause of death was listed as heart trouble. His last known address was a small attic room at 441 Surf Street in that same exact city. Now, nothing about the man or his death seemed out of the ordinary. He was a tall guy, 6 foot 2 inches in height and about 200 pounds in weight. Now, that's about 1.9 meters and 91 kilograms for my international listeners. He was just a lonely old man who appeared to be down on his luck for quite some time. 
the county hospital called his landlord to let him know that his tenant, Mr. Teary, had died. Now, the deceased had no known relatives in the United States, but the landlord knew that he'd associated with members of the late Henry E. Rice's family. So the landlord decided to contact the Rice family to inform them of the passing of Mr. Teary. And it's at this point that the story turned from mundane to what I consider to be a really great love story. It turns out that the Rice family had met Mr. Teary while they were vacationing in France about 35 years earlier. But Mr. Teary was not your ordinary French citizen. He just happened to be a French nobleman whose full name was... Marquis Pierre-Marie Amar Le Bout de Château Thierry Bonamoir. Now that's clearly not me. That was my wife. She lived in Paris for five years, so I thought she could do a better job than uh, me butchering it. Anyway, what a name. Uh, it's a mouthful. Uh, it's no wonder his death certificate listed his first name simply as the letter A. The famous Chateau Thierry was named after his family, and he was the eldest son of a French Catholic historian. At the time that the Rice family met him, Pierre was a brilliant mathematician who had the reputation of being able to, quote, add as fast as any adding machine. That's the end of the quote. The Marquis took one look at Henry Rice's daughter, and it was love at first sight. Uh, the family returned to the United States, but her brother Harry stayed behind in France for just a bit. And with the help of Harry, the Marquis began to write letters in somewhat broken English uh, to the American girl that he worshipped so much. Then, in 1913, he decided it was time to pick up and go to the United States to be with the girl of his dreams. Now, in doing so, the Marquis gave up his title and walked away from the family's estate. He was now an ordinary citizen, just like you and me, a commoner. Now, if I had been alive back then, I would have said, welcome to the club. Okay, maybe not. Uh, when he first came to the United States with the help of the Rice family, he gained employment at the Livestock, that's two words, Livestock Exchange National Bank. Then he switched to the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago for the next 14 years. Having worked as both a bank clerk and an auditor back in France, this was the perfect job for such a skilled mathematician. You may have noticed that I never, ever mentioned the woman's first name. And there's a good reason for that. That's because the press only mentioned her as being one Mrs. George E. de Cruff. And de Cruff is much, much different from her maiden name of Rice or the Marquis' last name of Thierry. Yes, she broke the nobleman's heart. Just two years after the Marquis sacrificed everything that he owned for the woman that he loved, she went off and married someone else. I can just imagine the pain that he felt at this time. Oh, must have been awful. And when the Great Depression hit, the Marquis was just too proud to ask anyone for help, and that included the Rice family. Uh, they later learned that he had lived for nearly a year on a diet of cracked wheat breakfast food. His last job was as a night clerk at a residential hotel, which was located at 2828 Pine Grove Avenue. That was right around the corner from the attic room that he was renting. I bet you that the guests never suspected that the white-haired man that handed them their room keys every night was once a distinguished man of French nobility. And yet through all this time, he continued to worship the woman that he loved, even though, of course, she could not love him in return. 
After his death, her brother Harry, and that's the same Harry that helped the Marquis write those love letters in the first place, and Jack Rubens, the public administrator assigned to the case, they searched through the Marquis' attic room. And there they uncovered a collection of newspaper articles regarding a number of French resistance movements that had fought against Nazi occupation during World War II. And of course, the war had just ended about a year prior to his passing. They also found an envelope that contained receipts from money that he had paid to support one of these French resistance groups, which was called France Forever. And lastly, they found $1,000 worth of $25 U.S. savings bonds that he had purchased with his savings. And although he never got the girl of his dreams, she, in fact, was the one that planned his funeral, and she also arranged for the former marquis to be buried with dignity in the Rice family plot at All Saints Cemetery, right near her deceased father. I can't help but wonder if she secretly did love him after all. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode where I'd like to tell you a story. If you care about what happens to your money, you need to listen to SoFi Daily. Unlike other podcasts talking about finances, markets, and businesses, some spending more than 60 minutes to cover everything, SoFi cuts to the heart of the financial world in five minutes or less. In each episode, you'll hear about every financial piece of news you need to know, from previous market updates and future trends to things happening that day. It's a great way to track what's going on and how it could affect your money. So stay on top of your finances. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. And now for a few words from our retro sponsor. Everyone is voting for Jack Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack Jack is on the right track Cause he's got high hopes He's got high hopes 1960's the year for his high hopes Come on and vote for Kennedy Vote for Kennedy And we'll come out on top Oops, there goes the opposition girl Oops, there goes the opposition girl Oops, there goes the opposition girl Pop. K-E-double-N-E-D-Y 
Jack's the nation's favorite guy. Everyone wants to back Jack. Jack is on the right track, cause he's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. 1960's the year for his high hopes. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. My wife and I were watching an episode from the first season of the TV show Mad Men last night, and they made a quick reference to uh, Frank Sinatra supporting Kennedy, so I immediately thought of this promotional recording and decided to include it in the podcast. Now, this was originally a 45 RPM record, which had very limited circulation and is among the most sought after of all Frank Sinatra memorabilia. So, if you happen to own a copy, it could be worth quite a few bucks. This is a reworking of the song High Hopes, which for younger people, you know, they may not be familiar with it. But it was a hit for Sinatra back in 1959, reaching number 30 on Billboard's Hot 100 chart. The song was recorded for the Frank Capra film A Hole in the Head and won the 1959 Academy Award for Best Original Song. That's not what I personally consider to be one of Sinatra's better songs, but I bet that many more people remember the song than the title of the movie that it came from. And now for a few totally useless yet totally true tidbits from history. It's time for what I like to call News of the Weird Past. And our first tidbit is dated March 7th of 1942, where it's reported that Adolf Hitler, yes, Adolf Hitler, showed up at the local draft board in Detroit, Michigan. Of course, this was a different man named Adolf Hitler, whose hometown just happened to be Moscow, as in Moscow, Michigan. But the name appears to have had a detrimental effect on this particular Adolf Hitler's life, as it did the other one. Uh, anyway, he was recently unemployed and had been living at a local mission. The state unemployment agency was able to find him a job, but my guess is that his name haunted him for the rest of his life. Our next tidbit is dated July 22nd of 1959, where it was reported that Charles Koval, a missile plant engineer, had noticed a constant fine mist falling in a 20-square-foot section of his San Diego, California backyard. Yet, oddly, no rain had fallen. Meteorologists, other engineers, and newsmen were puzzled by the constant fall of sprinkles uh, from above. Enter the science investigators, led by Dr. Rudolf Preisendorfer, who is a physicist at the University of California. He climbed a tree above the wet area and located the source of the mist. It turns out that it was the work of insects, leafhoppers to be exact. The leafhoppers, whose diet consists mainly of plant juices, are known to excrete a sweet bodily fluid commonly known as honeydew. And our last tip of it today is dated January 8th of 1964, where it's reported that F.B. Ellis, who headed an office supply company in Beckenham, England, was extremely puzzled by the sudden surge in the sale of rubber finger sheaths. Now, they really don't use those too much today, but those are the little rubber fingertips that uh, workers would slide over their fingers uh, to protect them from paper cuts and also grab each sheet of paper more easily. 
Now, even more of a mystery was why only one size, size double O, was selling so well. Well, it turns out that businesses were buying them by the gross for their office staff to slide over their stiletto heels and protect the expensive parquet or tile floors from damage. And now the answer to today's question of the day. And I had mentioned that Samuel Houston was the governor of two different states. And I gave you a list and asked you to choose which of those states it was. So your choices were one, Arkansas, two, Indiana, three, New Mexico, four, Tennessee, five, Texas, and six, Virginia. Now I hope with a last name like Houston, you picked Texas, since the city of Houston in Texas is named in his honor. But did you get the second state? It turns out it was Tennessee. Houston was elected governor of Tennessee on October 1st of 1827. He then married Eliza Allen on January 22nd of 1829, but she left him shortly after in April. Uh, Houston then turned to alcohol and soon resigned from the office on April 16th of 1829. For the next two years, Houston lived among the Cherokees in Arkansas Territory, uh, where he operated a trading post and married a part Cherokee widow. Then, in 1830 and again in 1832, Houston went to Washington, D.C. to expose the frauds that the government officials committed against the Cherokees. During his 1832 visit, Ohio Congressman William Stanbury falsely accused Houston of corruption. So Houston confronted Stanbury on Pennsylvania Avenue and pummeled him uh, with his hickory cane. Stanbury then drew a pistol, but it failed to fire. Houston was found guilty of assaulting a congressman by the House of Representatives and awarded Stanbury $500 in damages. But instead of paying, Houston fled to Texas, which was still part of Mexico at the time. After Texas separated from Mexico, he was twice elected to be president of the New Republic. Once Texas was annexed to the U.S., he first became a senator, and in 1859 he was elected governor. That makes Sam Houston the only person to be governor of two different U.S. states. He is also the only governor to have also been the head honcho of a foreign state. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story on the French nobleman. There was a similar story probably about a month ago about the Duchess of Alba giving away her entire fortune for love. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw that or not. If I can find it, I'll uh, post it on my Facebook page. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the story on the French nobleman as well as our question of the day on Sam Houston. I listening to our retro sponsor, which was Sinatra singing for Kennedy. And of course, the news of the weird past tidbits, which included Adolf Hitler being drafted, the bug juice mystery, and of course, the rubber finger sheath mystery. I do apologize for not doing a podcast in August. I was just incredibly busy. Uh, I gutted the whole upstairs of my house, and we've been remodeling, and I worked from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. Uh, so I really didn't have time to work on the podcast. Now, if you'd like to read more true stories just like this, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator, which I think a lot of people downloaded, and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Both are written by me, Steve Silverman, and uh, they're available from your local bookseller online and from your local library. As always, additional resources, including scans of some of the original research documents I use, maybe some additional comments on the podcast and some related links, can be found on my Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash uselessinformationpodcast. That's all one word, uselessinformationpodcast. So facebook.com slash uselessinformationpodcast. 
If for some reason you'd like to contact me, simply drop me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. Or you can visit my uh, website, which is uselessinformation.org. The Facebook page also, of course, has links to contact me. Uh, lastly, uh, as always, if you could log into iTunes, if you've never done that, uh, you know, leave some positive comments to try and increase the number of listeners to the podcast. And I just want to conclude by thanking everybody who did let, uh, download the book. Uh, the publisher told me they were really surprised as to how many copies, uh, were, uh, downloaded. Uh, I really, uh, have to say I was shocked having a number one book that no one asked me to do a radio interview or anything like that. Uh, when the book came out, uh, there were a lot of interviews done and not a single one came from having a number one book. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I tend to think because I tell great stories, I'd be good on morning radio, but you never know. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.